0: Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the Scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free eBooks, visit AssuranceofPardon.com/Logos. Now on with the show.
1: Hey everyone, Gage here with Assurance of Pardon. On this episode, we had the privilege of interviewing Chad Bird from 40 Minutes in the Old Testament and many other resources at 1517.org. We had so much fun in our conversation that we couldn't fit everything into one episode. So, this is actually part one of a two part series with our friend Chad. We hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to look for part two following next week. Enjoy the show. <coughs>
0: Welcome to Shirts of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Lewis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot
1: Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, an intern at Christ Church Conway in Conway, Arkansas.
0: Gage, we are excited to have you with us today, uh, Mr. Chad Bird. Chad is an author and speaker. He holds master's degrees from Concordia Theological Seminary and Hebrew Union College. And he draws upon his expertise as a former old testament hebrew professor uh, to co-host the podcast 40 minutes in the old testament chad has authored several books including his latest upside down spirituality the nine essential failures of a faithful life he also writes for 1517.org where he is a scholar in residence he and his wife stacy uh, make their home in texas thanks for joining us today chad
2: yeah, thanks for having. Me. It's great to be on the, on your podcast. Looking forward the, to the
0: discussion. I have tried to get my wife to refer to me at our home as a scholar in residence, uh... and
1: <laughs> she knows better. Yeah,
2: yeah. I always I always laugh when I see that that particular title. Yeah, I I, I really asked them to call me a scholar in Texas, but that just wouldn't go for it. Just it's got to be scholar scholarly in residence. Instead. Those fifteen,
0: seventeen people are are Californians, and they they don't under they're never going to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I've tried multiple times
2: to get to Scott Keith to consider moving here. Oh, he would absolutely fit in Texas. Yeah, he would. Yeah, I, but he just looks at me like I'm crazy every time I <laughs> every time I suggest it. I think the problem is he's been out here during uh, Texas summers, you know, like in the DFW area, and that was enough. To discourage him from ever ever moving out here just a little bit too hot for his California blood
1: oh I to- totally get that totally get that my brother-in-law lived in uh, right outside of Tyler uh, for uh, about a year and we went and uh, visited our nephews and and hung out with them for a couple of days. And I was through I like I didn't we got a flat I had to change a flat in the middle of, middle of the Texas summers like mid-July and I was like, no, 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 no. Oh,
2: yeah, that would definitely do it for you. Yeah, yeah. My wife uh, was living in Tyler before we started dating and married. So I I get that we live uh, around outside San Antonio. So South Texas, it's a uh, some pretty brutal winter pretty brutal summers down here, but that's OK. You know, we we roll with it. It's Texas.
0: Well Chad thanks for thanks for joining us today we are uh on on this podcast we you know we spent our first season talking about liturgy and unpacking uh, uh the elements of our our Presbyterian liturgy, much of which would be really, really similar to your Lutheran liturgy. We talked about a, you know, a corporate confession of sin and an assurance of pardon or an absolution. Uh, we, we we spent some time uh, unpacking uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism, and so uh, we, we're uh, uh, last week we had on a uh, year and my friend John Moffat from the Theocast, and and we asked him why are you not Presbyterian. And and he actually said, if I was going to be anything, I I think I'd probably just be Lutheran. (laughs) That's
2: that's a great response. Yeah. John's a great guy. I've been on their podcast, too. And uh, yeah, it's just it's a great crew over there. And uh, uh, John's a John has that admiration for for Luther, too, that we were talking about before we started recording.
0: Yeah, we we connected up at the fifteen seventeen conferences past at the here we still stand conference this past fall and and that's that's kind of our connection. So, uh, real quick, you have been hosting forty minutes in the Old Testament for a number of years now. Yeah, Dan Prash and I started
2: that. Uh, I was trying to remember. I think it was in the spring of two thousand fourteen, if, if memory serves me. And we had just launched the podcast, or the the, the website, Christ Told Fast, we had a couple of different podcasts connected with that. So he and I started forty minutes in the Old Testament, and we are uh, we, we worked our way canonically. So we started Genesis one, and then just uh, covered every single chapter, every single verse. Uh, and we are now, well, we just finished Ruth, uh, the last episode of. Uh, I think we covered that in three three different uh, sessions. Three different episodes. Anyway, so we've worked our way all the way from Genesis to Ruth, and that's that's going to be the plan. Just working our way forward, and it's been a great journey. You know, I uh, I taught some of this material before. I I taught Genesis and Exodus at the at the seminary, and of course had studied much of the uh, much of the other material. But of course, you know, as with as with anybody who teaches the scriptures, you're you're better in some areas than others. And one of the great joys anytime you write or teach for me anyway is to actually to to be forced by whatever you're having to do to actually spend some time in sections you might not be as familiar with because you end up learning something. There's not been a single podcast in 40 minutes of the Old Testament. We have over 200 of them now where I haven't learned multiple things when I'm doing my preparation. So it's been a it's been great for me, it's been a great response from uh from our listeners, a lot of support out there. And you know, it's just it's It's something that the church needs, and I know we're going to talk about this today, just because uh, so often the Old Testament just, you know, it it either gets ignored or it gets uh, abused, abused in the sense that it's made to serve a purpose other than that for which it was given. It's used for moralizing or it's used for political purposes or any number of other ways in which the Old Testament is actually Not used in the way in which God intended it to be used, the way that he gave it, the way Christ actually, uh, affirmed it. So a lot of what we do in the, in in the podcast sort of implicitly is to, to teach people how to teach the Old Testament. I mean, that's not like the explicit purpose, but that's what we're doing. We're, we're showing them not just the story, but okay, here's, you know, here's how all these puzzle pieces fit together into the big puzzle, the big picture of this Meta narrative: this big story that that spans from Genesis to Revelation. So doing that is uh, is always fun for me. It's it's what really drives me to the Old Testament time and time again.
1: Yeah, I know uh, we've definitely benefited from what you guys are doing. I, I'll often uh, even in sermon prep uh, go back and and say, okay, what, what my what my thirty minutes or forty minutes guys say. To help me kind of kind of understand, I did it this week with uh, with Romans seven. I'm actually preaching at a, a church plant, one of our church plants here in Arkansas, and it's dealing with the that section about the I, I do what I don't want to do, and I can't seem to do the things that I want to do. And you know, there's you try to read commentary, and you try to try to listen to guys that that you trust, and everybody, no one agrees on this passage, and so it's like okay. Maybe my fifteen, seventeen guys can help me here. Let me let me Google and see what I can come up with. Which I've thoroughly uh, benefited from it. Yeah, thirty minutes is a, is a great podcast. Uh, uh,
2: Dan and Eric do a do a great job of of uh, covering those, those passages. They they jump around a little bit. I mean, I know they don't work. They didn't go like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So they've covered various books. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a resource for the church. Basically, uh, that's what that's why we do it.
0: I decided uh, early. I've been preaching through Matthew for a couple of years, and I decided not to. Re- I recommend podcasts to people all the time, but I'm not recommending. Thirty minutes of the New Testament to anybody in my congregation because I don't want them to see where I'm getting all my sermon illustrations. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, you got
0: you got to hide all that material, <laughs>
2: Scott. So Scott,
1: fine. why do you keep losing church members to the Lutheran Church? I don't understand. Uh, well, it's, <laughs> that is the problem.
0: That is the problem. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so I've got to be I've got to be really really careful. Well, yeah, Chad, uh, you brought uh, I think. The first time, you know, Gage and I both came from a broader evangelical background, and and with with very little attention paid to the Old Testament. Uh, and I think the gateway drug for me into reading Christ into the Old Testament was. Um, not a high-level scholarly treatment of it, but was just hearing uh, Tim Keller in New York City say, you know, do his 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 really really helpful riff where he says Jesus is the truer and better Adam who passed the the test in the garden. He's the truer and better David who defeated the giant of sin and death on our behalf, and he's the truer and better uh, Jonah and Esther. And he goes through this this, this you know, it's a it's a wonderful uh um thing and, and it, it just was you know, mind blowing for, for me to hear that. And once you hear that, you can't unhear it. Right. Yeah it It comes down to to understanding hermeneutics, and this is why this is why I think Presbyterians and Lutherans get along so well is that is because whereas we have some differences about sacraments and we have some differences about election, when it comes to seeing Jesus as the hero of the Old Testament, we are we're in lockstep in that
2: yeah, absolutely, yeah, I mean a lot of it comes down to as you said hermeneutics uh, this uh, art of interpretation. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's basically what Jesus did with the uh, Emmaus disciples, right? He uh, interpreted to them all the things in the scriptures concerning himself. So it was the best hermeneutics class that was ever offered. He just started with Moses and he worked his way through, and I think mean, that is crucial. I mean, hermeneutics is a big word. Not everybody you know knows that word and knows what it means, but it just basically means how do you interpret something? So how do you approach it? And as I often say, <clears throat> excuse me, as I often say, if. Uh, If you're asking the wrong questions when you approach the Old Testament, you're probably going to get the wrong answer. So asking the right kinds of questions or asking that the crucial question is going to point you in the right direction. So, you know, what's what's the crucial question? Do you ask of the Old Testament, whatever, whatever chapter you're looking at, whatever story you're looking at, do you ask, uh, what does this have to do with me? Or what? Is, what is this telling me what to do? Well, if you're asking that kind of question, you're probably going to get an answer. But it is—is is it the answer that the Old Testament is pointing you toward? So I always encourage people, no matter what they're reading—they're reading creation, they're reading Esther, they're reading like I was this morning—I was reading the the prophet Nahum. Uh, you know, not a not a very well known prophet. Uh, and people usually don't don't go to him. Uh, but it doesn't matter what you're reading. Ask this question: How in these words? is Christ speaking of himself to the church. So this is the voice of Christ and he's wanting his church to hear this voice and he's talking about himself. So what exactly does he want us to read out of this? How is he communicating about himself to us? And when you're asking that kind of question, I'm not saying you'll always get the right answer, but you're at least going down the right path to get the right answer because you're you're looking at Christ. You're getting focused on Him, and you're saying, "Okay, how is how is Nahum teaching me about Him, or how is David in the Psalms, or what does this Esther thing have to do with Jesus, or anything else? It's all going to fit into this grand scheme of the salvation story that is all about Christ. So finding finding how it fits into that is really what hermeneutics is all about. It's really what interpretation is is all about.
1: Yeah, I got a a friend of mine. We were having a conversation the other day, and then he found out that I'd finished seminary and you know working towards ordination. And he you know he mentioned some book he'd been reading that he was like, "Man, you got to read this book." And it, it was mind blowing for me, and it, it changed my whole whole life and the way I read the scriptures. And he was like, "And what if I, what if I told you that?" all the scriptures are about you. And I said, buddy, I love you, but what if I told you you're wrong? Like, that's not, that's not helpful at all. Right. You know, I referenced this last week because I was prepping to, to preach it on Sunday. You know, if you do that, you're going to be real confused with like Psalm 24 when you realize you don't have clean hands and a pure heart, right? You're you're yes, gonna yes. you're gonna be really confused with Psalm 22 uh, when you're crying out, "Why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And then you read the New Testament and go, "Wait, Jesus is literally saying that right now." You, you mentioned that uh, even in, and you caught my attention. I, I needed to know about the sword, sword throwing, swinging Jesus this past week, and so I, I was <laughs> yeah. like, "All right, Chad, I got, I got." to know man and so you know but like you mentioned that um, in looking at Matthew 10 that if you don't understand that he's quoting the prophets um, you're gonna do really weird thing you're gonna think that justifies you for to be a jerk to your mother-in-law right you're not mm-hmm. you're not going to uh, read uh, that Jesus being the the better prophet uh, is is just pulling from what he's already seen yeah I think to to read a uh
2: anything in the New Testament, but certainly the Gospels. Unless you have one ear on the Old Testament, then chances are you're going to misunderstand a lot, or you're going to, as I, as I said in that video you referenced, uh, you're going to sub-understand it, you, so you're not really going to get what is being communicated. Because, you know, as a, I, I point out constantly, all of the New Testament writers were steeped in, in the Judaism of the day. They were writing from a Jewish perspective, just like all of the all of the way that we communicate, all of the way that we think, is influenced by our American culture, and we, we can't escape that. We we grew up in that. You know, we can be aware of it, but it's always going to influence the way we speak, uh, the kind of the cultural references that we make. All this is is in our head. So to understand what's happening in the New Testament, well, you got to get in somebody else's head. You got to get in the mind of a first century Jew, who's. Whose whose thought patterns and whose speech patterns and whose cultural references and all of this is is built from the the Old Testament. This is they were steeped in these narratives and these promises in this language, and so of course that's the way they communicated. So for us to try and read the New Testament from a uh, a modern American perspective is just not going to work. We've got to get our get our feet and then our whole body drenched in the Old Testament in order that we can. Rightly hear what's being, what's being said. Because, you know, as I pointed out, just to use as an, as an, as an example, in Matthew 10, when Jesus is talking to his apostles, he, uh, he doesn't stop to say, as the prophet Micah said. He just keeps going. He's, he's quoting the scripture, but he doesn't have, to, first of all, he doesn't have to, because when the, when the disciples hear this, they're going to know, oh yeah, that's, that's from Micah. When we hear it, we're not going to hear that unless we Unless we've been reading the prophets, unless we know the Old Testament, so yeah, it's, uh, it's it's crucial. It's 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 a hundred percent necessary for us to read the New Testament from the perspective of the Old Testament. Otherwise, uh, we're just we're always going to come up short when it comes to understanding the Gospels.
1: So, what you're telling me is. Um we're not looking for another King Cyrus. Like I'm not trying to figure out (laughs) who to vote for this November based off of second Chronicles 36. Okay. Okay.
0: I didn't think so. I just wanted to make sure. I, I think of the, the, those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know, there's, there's several miracles that happen there. Their, their eyes are miraculously kept from recognizing Jesus. Their eyes are miraculously open to recognizing Jesus. And then Jesus vanishes before their eyes and yet, when he does, they say they don't say. Did our hearts not burn within us when he did those amazing miracles? When 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 he suddenly opened our eyes, or wasn't that crazy how he just disappeared? But rather, they say, did our hearts not burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures? Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I'd say it, go ahead.
0: That, I think and that's just the effect I think when when you can help people catch a vision for reading the Old Testament in a christocentric way uh it, it if you're doing it right if you're doing it well um hopefully their hearts will burn within them as they see as the as the Old Testament just suddenly takes on this amazing meaning that's the thing we're praying yeah, for I mean, right every every
1: Sunday yeah, when you get in the pulpit like hey. <laughs> Spirit, do the thing I can't do, please. Right,
2: right. Yeah, I mean that's what we're that's what we're shooting for, and and I can't tell you how many times uh, over the the years of my teaching and presenting where where that's happened, and it, and it still remains a joy to me to see that happen because it happened to me. I was in, I was actually in seminary when I had several classes with a professor who had a crystal centric approach to the Old Testament, and the light started going off, and my heart started burning within me. <laughs> And I, I realized that that was when I fell in love with the Old Testament. I had Hebrew in college, but I just really couldn't get into it. And the Old Testament, I just—I mean, yeah, it was interesting, but I really wasn't into it until I realized, oh, this is, you know, just like Jesus said, these scriptures are all about me. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that and started putting everything together and understanding how he is the, the entire fabric of the Old Testament, then I couldn't get enough. And I still can't get enough. I, I keep returning to it. Keep asking, you know, how is this about Jesus? How is this pointing me to Christ? And you always come up with an answer because he, in one way or another, through his spirit, is going to lead us to see how he is the, the content of the Torah, the prophets, and the writings.
0: I heard a story. RC Sproul, the late RC Sproul, told a story about speaking on a college campus. And afterwards, he's he's standing around with some of the students after his talk. He was at a Christian college, and somebody asks him a question. They're just standing in the lobby. Somebody asks him a a, a biblical question, and he says, "Somebody, does anybody have? A, I don't have my Bible with me. Does anybody have a Bible?" And so they hand him a a, a just a little New Testament. And he, they tossed it to him and he, he said, and I tossed it back and said, does anybody have a Bible? I a Bible. <laughs> yeah. And right. they, they, they said, what, what, what about that? And he goes, that's not the Bible. That's just half of the Bible. That's the-
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like to call the new Testament, the, uh, uh, the official inspired commentary on the Bible. Absolutely. You know, it's a, yeah, because for Jesus, for the, uh, the early church, When you ask them what the Bible was, well, of course, they just talk about the Tanakh, right? They talk about what we call the Old Testament. Uh, Because, I mean, in in many ways, you could even reduce it down. You could say the Bible is the Torah, is the Pentateuch, is Genesis, the Deuteronomy. And then everything after that is inspired commentary. The the rabbis like to say that everything that was going to be said was already said by Moses. And all, all that remained was for the prophets to... Kind of pull that out and expand that. Luther has—I don't have it in front of me here—but Luther has a quote similar to that: that everything the prophets and the apostles taught was drawn from Moses. So he's the source of everything; he's the foundation, if you will, upon which everything is built. So you see, as I like to call it, this layering that that happens in the scriptures. You got this solid foundation of of the, the writings of Moses, and then everything else is just layered on top of that. And it's fascinating to see what's what's often called uh, uh, inner. Inner biblical interpretation or intertextuality where one, where the Bible's interpreting itself. So Joshua references things by Moses and then Judges has references back to Joshua and to the Torah. And then you get into, it doesn't matter whether it's Ruth or Samuel or Kings, they're all referencing things. Then you'll have prophets who will be preaching. But what are they preaching on? Well, they're preaching on the Torah, or they make references to things that happen in the book of Judges, like Isaiah does. So just like we teach and preach the scriptures, so everything post-Torah was preaching on the scriptures. So yeah, it's in the scriptures, but it's preaching on the scriptures. And by paying attention to that, and by understanding their own hermeneutics and the way that they approach the Torah they're teaching us how to do how to do the same thing. So just for instance, earlier you talked about Tim Keller saying, you know, Jesus is uh, the new and the better Moses, the new and the better David, the new and the better whoever. Well, that particular approach is called typology or patterning. There's various names for it, foreshadowing. Uh, but most people think, oh yeah, well, we get that from the New Testament, right? Because Because Paul talks about how Christ is a new and better Adam, and John makes this parallel between Moses and Jesus. And of course, Matthew's gospel is, is all based upon how Christ follows the pattern of the life of Moses. The thing is, typology, that particular approach to the scriptures, did not by any means begin in the New Testament. You find that already in the book of Genesis. Noah is a second Adam. When you look at the the exact way that their lives are paralleled and even some of the language that is used, Adam first, Noah is the second Adam. And then, of course, Joshua is the second Moses. And then you you go on down the line. And so all kinds of typologies that are built into the Old Testament itself. I mean, this is the way we think, right? We're always how do we think we compare one thing to another thing? It's just basic human thinking is by by putting things in parallel well th- that's the way that the israelites approached their understanding of how God was working in in their midst you know this guy was like that guy you know this this ruler was like that ruler so all that to say that yeah the Torah kind of lays the foundation it sets the pattern and everything after that is built upon that it's like the rabbis used to say uh uh massey Simon lavenim." which is that the the deeds of the fathers are a sign for the sons meaning that what happened to the fathers the patriarchs was going to be the sign of the pattern that was followed by the Israelites after them so that that began in the torah and it just layered and layered upon the torah after after that
0: Chad what if i drive if i drive down my my street here in in arkansas in the middle of the bible belt i'm going to see lots of Lots of churches that on their sign, they're going to refer to themselves as a New Testament church. So, yeah, right. So you, you see it as well. Uh, and, and I think your average evangelical, broader evangelical Christian is just going to drive by that and nod their head and say, well, yeah, of course, that's what, that's what a church is. It's an, it's a New Testament thing. Um, and so that this is an uphill battle to, to explain this hermeneutic or sometimes hermeneutics at all um, to some of our evangelical uh, uh, brothers and sisters, how, what have you found is the best entry point in beginning if you're having a, a beer or a cup of coffee with somebody um, who's coming from just a, a, a broader generic perspective? Uh, Listens to K Love on the radio, contemporary Christian, uh, broader evangelical context to begin to help them see, um, that their their hermeneutic is is vapid. Uh, let me let me say it another way. I have found in ministry that the difficult thing is that the thing that you most need to say to somebody, which is that's crazy and everything you know is wrong, and you need to rethink everything. And you know that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Uh, we we often when we're talking to folks, we don't say that. We tiptoe around, and we 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 actually don't kind of grab them by the shirt collar and shake them and say, "You need to forget everything." you know, and how how do you, which sometimes anyway, so how do you, how can you gently and pastorally uh, bring people along to, to have a, a a better hermeneutic and be open to this? Is that question makes sense?
2: Sure. Yeah. I think, uh, well, uh, you know, typically the way that you want to convince someone is you begin where they're at, right? So maybe you take something that they know or believe to be true. And you, you build on that and you lead them gently toward, uh, a a deeper and a broader understanding. So we'll just take this example. So you got somebody who, you know, we're New Testament Christians. We're a New Testament church. All right, well, let's, let's look at the New Testament. Let's see, let's see what it says. And you, you come across passages like we've already referred to Luke 24, where Jesus says to the Emmaus disciples, you know, that, uh, all of these things in Moses and the rest of the prophets are about me. Or you jump to the end of Luke where Jesus says that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Or you go to John 1 and, you know, you see where Philip says to Nathanael, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. We we found the guy that Moses and the law prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Or you, or you go to John 5, where Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it's these that bear witness of me. All right? So you got all this, and there's a lot more that I could go through, but you got all these New Testament verses where Jesus or somebody else is saying, hey, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. All these things are written about him. All right, well, how does that work? Well, what I would do next is I would say, you know what? Let's look at another New Testament book. Let's look at the book of Hebrews.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. And let's see how the book of Hebrews, which by the way is the cheapest commentary on the Old Testament you can ever purchase, just <laughs> yeah. it's right there. Yes, yeah, free it's charge. Right. Just, just go to Hebrews, and, and say, okay. Well, how does how did the author of Hebrews do this? And you're going to take him through that. You say, well, you know, he points to Christ as the the new and the better priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Or he's like Moses, but he's he's better. Uh, or he's he had all these Old Testament sacrifices. You had the Old Testament tabernacle slash temple, but Christ is something new and better. So you can use Hebrews as a model for how you how you read the Old Testament, where it doesn't matter if you're talking about people or actions or buildings or actions like the sacrificing. All of this was intended to be a portrayal beforehand of the work of the Messiah. And then once you kind of lay that that approach before them, then you can say, all right, you know, we, we have kind of all this in our head. And now let's go back and let's start reading the Old Testament, not as if it stands alone, but as if it is the beginning of this, this river that flows uninterrupted into the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And once you, I think once you start doing, once you kind of have this, this hermeneutic, this, this vision For what the Old Testament is about, then your eyes actually begin to see that. But you gotta, you gotta have that when you're, when you're reading the Old Testament itself. It's not like it's gonna immediately jump out at most people. But if you are approaching it from, okay, we know who Jesus is, we know what he's done, and we know what, like, the way that Hebrews does this. Well, with that understanding, let's reread the Old Testament. And all of a sudden, wow, things start popping out at you that you didn't, that you didn't see before. That's that's uh, the way I'd probably approach it.
0: Yeah, that's that's super helpful. That's super helpful. I, I, I quote that a lot. That that let's let the New Testament interpret the Old Testament. Um, and what you the pushback we'll so often get is authorial intent. Uh, it, is there oh, any? Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, um, there's no way the original author would have would have thought that he was talking about Jesus. Uh, to which I'll just reply: Well, I don't know about you, but I think the original author is the Holy Spirit.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, that is a good response. You've, you, you got to always have it's dual authorship. Everything's everything is dual authored, right? Because right. yeah, I mean, of, of course, you know, they didn't they didn't have all the answers. Just like
1: we don't have all the answers, right? Yeah, but you uh, can't. You know, you can't take that approach though, and. Read Matthew, where Matthew goes, Hey, this is to fulfill this. Like Matthew, and Matthew's real blunt, like this happened for this reason, you know. Uh, yep. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean,
2: yeah, if you if you just take the the New Testament writers, they all believed that you know, David, for instance, when he wrote Psalm 16, was not talking about himself, he was talking about the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So uh, and, and Peter talks about how you know the prophets themselves were like investigating their own writings. They were curious as to what their own writings were were pointing toward, and you and you have you had plenty of evidence from even outside the New Testament in a material like the Dead Sea Scrolls or some of the uh, the inner intertestamental literature that we usually call the Apocrypha uh, or other or the contemporary writings that there was a very much of an expectation of the Messiah because the Messiah had been spoken about in all of these, these Old Testament writings. So it seems very presumptuous of us to say, well, there's no way that these Old Testament authors knew that they were talking about the Messiah. Like we know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I would much rather trust their writings and their intent and what the New Testament says than for me, you know, 20, 30 centuries later to uh, to look back and say, oh, well, there's no way that they could have known that. Well, how do you know that they couldn't have known that that's that's the question
0: yeah i uh, um I will often um I'll often hear people say in the Old Testament, people were saved by their by their good works, but in the New mm. Testament were saved by grace. So talk a little bit about about how to dispel that uh that urban legend
2: <laughs> yeah, that is a very, very common perception that uh, old testament law, new testament gospel. Old Testament salvation by works, New Testament salvation, salvation by grace. Well, I think one of the things you got to look at, and it's all over the place, is that when you look at the works of the Old Testament people, uh, it it is full of very filthy rags, as Isaiah <laughs> says. Although Isaiah says, you know, <laughs> I like to point this out, Isaiah does not say all our unrighteousness is as filthy rags. He says all our righteousness. So if our righteousness is like filthy rags, just imagine how bad must be our unrighteousness. And then you look at, you know, like Psalm 14, for instance, uh, uh, the Lord is looking all over the place for somebody who's good, for somebody who's righteous. And what does he find? Not one, not a single one. Micah does the same thing in chapter 7, Jeremiah in chapter 5. They're out looking for a righteous man and they can't find one. Well, if we're saved by works in the Old Testament, perpetually points out Israel's idolatry and the fact that there is no righteousness, well, then what are we going to say? Nobody, nobody was saved. You know, they, they all just all were perished. Well, that's, that's missing the point. Uh, the point is that they had unrighteousness. They had sin, just like we do. And the only way that they were saved was by the God that they repeatedly referred to as gracious and merciful slow to anger abounding in hesed in this loving kindness this covenant fidelity and another thing you can point people to is you know Deuteronomy talks about how God chose Israel not because they were the greatest nation not because they were the best nation he chose them because he loved them that was it you know he 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 chose them because he had a heart of love for them and they were always looking forward to this great salvation that was already talked about in Genesis chapter three. It's talked about in in Genesis twelve, the promise to Abraham, and then it's unfolded more and more as you go through the rest of the Old Testament that God was going to do something. He was going to act to save His people, and this is this is presented in a, in a number of different metaphors. You know, sometimes it's like the defeat of their enemies. Sometimes it's bringing them back from exile. Sometimes it's the suffering servant of Isaiah. So there's a multiplicity of ways in which the 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 ultimate salvation is going to be accomplished and it's all centered around this person this seed that that is to come which of course is is the messiah so they had this hope this expectation in him that was what their faith was was founded on and as it says in genesis this was reckoned to them as righteousness just like it was just like it was to abraham so Long, long, a short answer to your, your question in the Old Testament, just like in the New Testament, people had no righteousness by which they could be saved. No good works could somehow qualify them to uh, be in God's good graces. Instead, they just like we do, they look to the good and gracious God who has promised and worked salvation for them. So they're saved by faith, just like just like we are.
1: Yeah, it's uh, yes. Paul's uh, argument in Romans four, right? Like he, he's building his argument up to this point, and he's anticipating or he's kind of arguing against um, this uh, supposed antithesis, right? And he and he's saying, okay, well, what about Abraham? All right, well, let's deal with Abraham for a second, and let's kind of <laughs> walk through this, right? Right. Yeah. How was he saved? Yeah, yes. and I think it think it helps too. You know, um, a lot of folks don't know that there is actually a different Hebrew order than there is an the English order in the way that we actually structure even the Old Testament, right? We're, we're used to thinking about it and it ends in Malachi and it's looking for the one that's going to come with healing in his wings, which is, which is fine. But the, you know, going back to the original, uh, intent and thinking through thinking things like a Jew, right? Second Chronicles is actually how the the Hebrew order ends, and they're looking for the one that 's going to go up right like and the whole point of that is leading up to this point um, it their sin reached such a a height that it says. Uh, the Lord's anger burned and there was no remedy. Like I've done all that mm-hmm. I could possibly do because whether it's judges or whether it's Kings or whether it's the people or these false prophets that, that cry peace, peace, or there is no peace, you know, all these things. Um, it leads to this point of like, it's just these folks that there's none righteous. No, not run. No one understands. No one seeks after God. You know, yeah. we're we're in trouble. Who's going to go up. And then the book ends. <laughs> and it's, and yeah. that so you start, that's the reason Matthew starts with the genealogy because he wants you to go, go, hey, I figured out the one who can ascend to the hill. I found him. I found the king of glory. Let, let me tell yeah. you, let me tell you about him. Let me walk you through this from, from Adam to, to David to Jesus, you know. So that, I think that, that helps to understand that because it, then it answers the question. So then you're not reading it going, okay, I gotta figure out how to be a Proverbs 31 woman or, you know, when, when that's probably more than one woman, right? And then yeah, I gotta figure out how to have clean hands and a pure heart. Well, it can't be Moses because Moses murdered a guy and then went off the grid for 40 years and it can't be David because David can't seem to keep his eyes and his hands to himself without uh, both being lustful, adulterous, and murderous all in the same same fell swoop. And it can't be his son because that dude had had more wives than we could possibly imagine. Even though he's the smartest man in the world, I only have one wife, and I feel like I, I struggle. And she puts up with me more than anything. And and it, it can't be you know fill in the blank right. It can't be Abraham because that dude not once but twice got into a bar fight he couldn't get out of, and basically said no. That's that's not my wife. That's my sister. You go, you go ahead. And then he taught his son how to do it. Cause Isaac does the same thing. Like that was a, a conversation they had so that Isaac knew if he got himself in a situation, he couldn't get out of just say your wife's your sister and, and, and hope for the best. Right. Katie would leave me today if I couldn't yeah, Brian, defend
0: Brian her. Brian Chappell says the, 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 the Bible goes to the trouble of impugning the character of every single person in it, but Jesus. <laughs> That's a great way of
2: putting it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all the dirty laundry, you know, <laughs> all the dirty laundry is out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I even, uh, uh, I've listened quite a bit to Jordan Peterson and, uh, even, even he points out, I mean, he, someone who, you know, uh, has a very kind of strange psychological approach to the scriptures. But, you know, it, he, it, it, even he has pointed out what is odd about the Bible is that there's no attempt to somehow. Sweep all of this under the rug. You know, it's just like it's, it's kind of strange. It's like it's shocking, really. I mean, we sometimes get kind of get used to it, but when you think about it, I mean, what were if you go to all the monuments in in ancient Egypt? It's not like they, they're recording terrible things that their people did. I mean, they were they're proclaiming how great they are. You know, they're not they're not writing stories about pharaohs who were bored and were up on the roof and happened to see the wife of one of their their closest friends bathing and and ended up doing everything that David did. No, they glorify their leaders. And you get to the scriptures and you you see that they're not afraid to point out that every single person there has a lot of skeletons in their closet and thus are in need of a salvation that's worked not by them but by the God who the worship
1: guys uh, that concludes our time as always you can follow us on facebook instagram or twitter or uh, visit our website at assuranceofpartum.com we'd love to uh, hear from you and hear how these podcasts are benefiting you if you have any questions during this time um you have a little extra time on your hands uh, to listen to podcasts during the quarantine. So, if you have any questions pass past episodes or the ones that we're getting ready to release, we'd love to hear from you, dialogue with you. Um, hit us up on any of the social media platforms or shoot us a message through the website. Um, we oh, this is Insurance Partner.